here at New Life. Well, I'm Pastor Ben, and it's my privilege this morning to continue our sermon series called Church People, where we've been exploring seven different churches in the book of Revelation. So today, as we launch into our conversation, I want to say something that I think that probably most of you will agree with, but, but I believe that a majority of the best stories ever told and a majority of the best movies ever made are underdog inspirational stories, right? Stories about an individual, stories about a group of people who overcame the odds, who pushed all the excuses, even though they are completely reasonable excuses, they pushed all those excuses out the window and they overcame to win the girl, win the prize, it doesn't matter. They won something, right? They pushed the excuses away to be overcomers. Now, it doesn't matter what genre of movies or stories you like. It's true in every genre. There's stories like this. It can be in romance. It can be in action. It can be in sci-fi. Let me give you some examples. You've probably seen the movie Titanic before, right, with Leonardo DiCaprio. There's a story of a young man whose name is Jack. He's an aspiring artist. He doesn't have a lot going for him. He doesn't have very much money. But he wins in a poker game a ticket onto the Titanic. He gets shoved into the lower class section, but he sees this beautiful, high class girl, a girl that he has no business talking to, and he probably has 107 excuses why he shouldn't talk to her, but his heart compels him to take the chance, and they fall in love, and he has her heart forever. That's the story, at least the movie version, of the Titanic. Now, in the action genre, you might be surprised if this is true as well. Think about Die Hard. I don't know if you've seen Die Hard before. It's not a sponsorship on Die Hard. I'm just talking about it, okay? It's a story of an underdog cop, right? A lone wolf cop. And he's estranged from his wife and he's going to New York to visit her. And he goes to surprise her. And he finds out that where the Christmas party is, there's a bunch of terrorists that have taken over the building. So what is he gonna do? He could slink into the corner or try to hide or grab his wife and run. But instead, he decides to take on all the terrorists by himself. Now, it's obviously based on a true story. I'm just joking. Right? It's obviously fictional. So he takes out like hundreds of terrorists. He saves the day, and his wife then falls in love with him again. Right? It's this comeback story. It's romance. It's action. It's a Christmas story. Right? There's a little bit of everything in that movie. Now, how about this one? Even in the sci-fi, these things are true. Think about Star Wars. I think of Star Wars. You have a young Luke Skywalker. He doesn't have a lot of skills yet. He's got a lot of potential. He's done some stuff in the desert, like dinking around with some things, but he doesn't really have the full skill set that a fighter pilot should have. But yet, they put him in an X-Wing, and he's going to go out there and hopefully defeat the unstoppable Empire by hitting this tiny little dot on the Death Star to destroy it. Of course, he goes in. He hits the tiny dot. He's the overcomer, and they win the day. Right, it's these stories where everyone has a, a myriad of excuses that they could use to back out, to give up, to throw in the towel, but yet they overcome. And these stories, they inspire us. That's why we like them, right? We like to be inspired. We like to think of what could be if we could do the same thing and, and get rid of our excuses and overcome. Now, of course, this also creeps into the sports genre. In fact, if you're looking for an inspirational, feel-good, overcomer story, the sports genre is the place to go because there's a lot of these. For every sport, if you think about it, there's, there's a story for every sport. Think about, let's go with basketball. Right, you're thinking of Hoosiers, probably. 
which is the story of a small town Indiana school. They only have seven players on their basketball team. Their coach has a checkered past. Their assistant coach is the town drunk, but yet they have every reason to fail, but they overcome. They get to the state championship game, and in that day, there was only one class. They go against the big school with the full roster, taller, bigger, stronger, more athletic, more skilled players, but yet they don't let that be something that's stopping them. Right? They get rid of every excuse that everyone would give them that they probably had themselves. They push it out of the way, and they take home first place. How about football? Now, there's a bunch in football. In fact, you probably have one that's already in your mind. I got attacked after the service because I did not pick the right football movie. But here's one of my favorites, so just bear with me. If you have something else, that's great. You can tell me about it afterwards. But one that I really love is a movie called Invincible which is a story of a guy named Vince Papali, who's a teacher, and he gets cut, because there's budget cuts, so he can't be a teacher anymore. He takes on a job as a part-time bartender to make ends meet, and this guy is a die-hard Philadelphia Eagles fan, like a super fan. And the Eagles are about to hire a new coach, and so the new coach comes in, and as a publicity stunt, he says, anyone who wants to try out for the Eagles, you're welcome to come and try out. His friends nudge him, and they say, you should go try out. Of course, he's thinking, I don't want to be made a fool of, right? I don't want to end up on SportsCenter as the guy who had no business on a football field. But he goes, and he makes it to the preseason team, right? So he has a chance. Now, of course, all the real Eagles aren't very happy that he's there, but he has every excuse to quit, but he doesn't. He keeps pushing forward and pushing forward and pushing forward. He makes a real NFL team. Right, the teacher who couldn't cut it becomes the bartender, becomes an NFL player, and at the end of the game, he scores the game-winning touchdown. Now, in baseball, there's a bunch of these too, but I think of the rookie, which is the story of a 35-year-old teacher who's coaching the high school baseball team, and he makes the team a bet that if they get so far in districts, then he will try out for a major league team. Now, at 35 years old in baseball, you are an antique at this point in time. And so he's very concerned if they actually hold him to account, right? If he, they make him go through with his bet, he's going to look like a fool. He's going to be embarrassed. But he moves the excuses aside, he tries out, and he makes a major league baseball team. Now I have one more. If you're thinking, okay, this has gone on long enough, I've got one more for you. Because it's the winter Olympic season, we've got to talk about miracle right, which is the story of the 1980 U.S. men's hockey team who overcome the odds by defeating the Russians. Now, the Russians at this point in time, they had won the last three gold medals, and they were just fresh off of beating an NHL, which is the professional, all the best players in the world. They defeated the NHL All-Stars, which held 20 future Hall of Famers on this team, right? They embarrassed them. So it's this team that this group of ragtag U.S. men's hockey players, all amateurs, right, just college players, non-professionals, they have to go up against Russia. And they have every excuse, every realistic excuse to back up, to give up. No one would fault them if they didn't put forth full effort or even show up on the ice, right? They had no business being there. But they end up winning the game 4-3 to three and walking home with the gold medal. Oh, I love stories like this. I'm sure that you love stories like this. Maybe not all the time, but every once in a while, it just feels good to be inspired, to see how somebody else pushed all the excuses aside 
and overcame, and especially these sports stories. Because every story that I just referenced in the sports genre, these aren't just fictional stories that someone wrote. These are real stories from real history. These are real people with very real excuses that overcame and did something amazing to inspire us all. Well, this morning, we're going to be inspired again by this tiny little church in the city of Philadelphia in Asia Minor. And they too had every reason and every excuse to fail, to give up, to not make an impact. But instead, they brought Christ's transformation to the world. This is their story, as recorded in Revelation. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right, these are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. So throughout this sermon series over the last six weeks, and we have one more week of this, in our series called Church People, Jesus is giving feedback to these seven very real churches in very real places with very real people and very real problems. And he's trying to help them move in a better direction. So some of the feedback is, hey, you're doing this, but you need to be doing this. So he's trying to lovingly guide them to a better place. But for the churches who are doing it well, he's celebrating them, right? You know this, you, you get what you celebrate. And he's trying to celebrate them in, in what they're doing. But when he goes through this process, he has a, a very similar pattern every single time. He starts off by telling these churches something about himself. Now, this is very significant because every time he does this, he's intentionally leaning into truth about himself that has a direct correlation to what these churches are struggling with. So this is what he says about himself to start off this conversation with this church in Philadelphia. He says, first of all, I am the holy one, which means I am perfect, I've never made a mistake, and I will never make a mistake. And then he refers to himself as the true one, which means everything he says is true, all of his promises and all of his predictions will be fulfilled. And we get all those. Those are pretty easy to understand. But then he goes and he says this thing that's a little bit strange. He says, and I'm the one who holds the key of David. Now, what is the key of David? Well, to understand that, we have to do that little practice that we talked about like four weeks ago. If we run into something in Scripture that we don't understand, the best way to understand it is to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. So if we were to search key of David in the Bible, it would take us back to the book of Isaiah. Now, the book of Isaiah is a prophecy from this man named Isaiah, and it's a prophecy about the Messiah, which, of course, is Jesus. And Isaiah says, the Messiah will come, and he will hold the key of David. Now, what's the key of David? The key of David is the key that unlocks the door to eternal life. Right, this is the gate that opens that we have an opportunity to be in relationship with God forever. And Jesus is saying, I hold this key. Now, why is he saying it to this church? Well, he's saying it specifically to this church and reminding them of this because of what he's about to say. He goes on and says, you guys need to give me power again to control this. He says, I know your works. Look, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. So he changes his focus from telling about himself to looking at this church and telling them about themselves. He says, look it, I, this is what I've noticed. This is what I know about you. I know 
your works. In other words, I know what you're doing for the cause of Christ, right? You have made the mission the main thing, and this is how you're living it out, right? This is the strategy you put into place. He might have said something like this, right? I know your ministries, I know your outreach programs, I know your kids' ministry, I know your youth ministry, I know your Sunday services, right? I know it all. But more than that, I know how you feel about the stuff that you're doing. I know the tension that you have in your heart. I know the disappointment. Because this church, they felt like they weren't doing enough. They weren't accomplishing enough, right? The fruit that they were getting out was very, very little, and it was just disappointing for all the effort they were putting in. And this is why Jesus reminds them, it's not about them. It's not about the power that they have, right? It's about Jesus, who once again is what? The one who holds the key of David. He is the open door, which means their job is just to simply take what they have and point people to the open door and invite people through that door. Well, Jesus continues on the same thought. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have, not, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So now we get kind of an idea of why they're feeling a little bit disappointed in what they produced. He says, I know that you have very little power. Now, he doesn't give us specifics of what that means, but I think we all kind of have an understanding, right? We get that they don't have very much influence. They don't have very much money. They don't have the best communicators teaching. They don't have the best musicians, right? They just are, are not very exciting, right? They don't have a lot of authority. They don't have a lot of influence. They don't have a lot of things going for them. And if you know the history of Philadelphia, you actually can understand why this is the reality. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about a church in the city of Sardis. And if you were here, you remember that Sardis experienced a great tragedy. In 17 AD, they experienced this great earthquake, and they never fully recovered from it. But Philadelphia experienced that same exact earthquake, but it actually was worse, because Philadelphia was right on the fault line. And history tells us that for the next 20 years, Philadelphia kept experiencing earthquake after earthquake after earthquake because of their location in the world. Now, if you lived in Philadelphia and you rebuilt your house after the first earthquake, right, you reinvested your money into the community and it happened again and again and again and again, what would you do? Right? If you had money, if you had skills to go work somewhere else, you would do that, wouldn't you? Right after you experience that time and time again, you would say, hey, we've got some money. This is horrible. Let's get out of here. And you would leave the city. And that's what happened with Philadelphia. All the people with resources and all the people that had trades and talents where they could go somewhere else, they took off. And it just gutted the city. And this is what the city was left with. This is what the church was left with. It was a shell of its former self. So this church had plenty of excuses why they weren't as successful as maybe others thought they should be or how they thought they should be. Right? They had all these excuses. And we get excuses. Right? We all have excuses in life. Maybe it sounds something like this for you. I don't have enough money because. Or I don't have a job because. Or I don't have a degree because. Or maybe I don't eat healthy because. Or I don't work out because. Or I don't have a good relationship with my kids because. I don't have a good relationship with my spouse because, or I don't get along with my parents because, or maybe it's I don't pray 
because I don't read my Bible, because I don't go to church, because I, I don't share my faith, because. And we have all these excuses that we put in front of ourselves that stop us from becoming what God wants us to be. But what do we see about this church with very little power? Jesus says that yet they have kept my word. So what we learn about this church had far little power and not a lot of great things going for it is that they have one really good thing. They've kept God's word. Right? They've kept the mission, the main thing, and they are obedient to Jesus Christ, even if they don't feel like they're doing a lot. And this is the result of that behavior. Jesus says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not by lying, but are lying, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. So here's this church in Philadelphia and they feel like they're not doing much. They're trying to do what they can, but it doesn't feel like it's amounting much. Jesus gives them a prediction the one who is trustworthy and true makes a prediction about what's going to happen in this area because of their efforts, and because of them walking in the truth of God's word and following his mission. He says that they're going to influence the synagogue of Satan. Now, what's the synagogue of Satan? Think of everyone who's heavily influenced by Satan and heavily influenced by the church. Right? Think about those people that you feel are a lost cause because they would never, 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 never never follow Jesus, right? They would never listen to a conversation about Jesus. They would never entertain believing in Jesus, right? It's those people. And right now, you probably have someone in your mind, right? It's that neighbor, it's that classmate, it's that teammate, it's that coworker. And you're thinking, I would never talk to them about Jesus because I already know what they're gonna say. I've seen their behavior. I, I hear them talk negatively about faith. I know what they're gonna say. And that's what's so amazing about this moment in history. Jesus says that all those people that no one believed would believe that because of the simple efforts of this church that they're going to have their lives transformed. And not only are they going to have their hearts and lives transformed, but they're going to come back to these people and honor them and say thank you and bless them for their efforts. But they're not the only ones who will bless this church Jesus goes on to say this, because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the world. So there's a blessing that Jesus is going to place on this church. First and foremost, the major blessing is that they get to see the people in their community, their coworkers, their friends, the people in their family, have their lives transformed, and there's no bigger blessing for a believer than to see people actually have their hearts and lives transformed by Jesus Christ, especially those who we believe would never believe and never follow Jesus, right? What an amazing blessing that is when that happens. But there's a secondary blessing because of their patient endurance and following God's word. This is that he will keep them from trouble. Now, just to be clear, what this doesn't mean is that if we're followers of Christ, that we won't get sick and we won't have heartache and we won't have hurt and we won't have car accidents, but that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is, if you follow in my word, there is a natural blessing. Because the reality about the troubles of this life is that a lot of times the troubles in this life that we experience are because of us. 
right? Those times when we're like, I'm going to do it my own way, God. I hear how you're going to do it, right? I heard on Sunday how we should do it, but I'm just going to do it this way because I think this is the better way. And all of a sudden, guess what? Surprise, surprise. We run into trouble, don't we? But for this church, they have this blessing where God's going to watch over them. He's going to protect them in a special way. And if they're following in his word, all those troubles that we naturally bring into our lives, they're not going to have to experience those. Just like we don't have to experience them when we follow in God's way. So this is where he takes us next. He says, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I will write you on the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So as normal as it is, and as we've been going through these rhythms to see Jesus start off by telling us about himself, it's very normal now, if you've been here for the last six weeks, to see how he ends. He always ends the same way. He leaves us with this tension of eternity. He wants us to know what's on the line, right? People's souls, people's lives are on the line, right? Eternity is on the line. He wants us to know that he is the open door and anyone is invited through the open door, but there is a secondary part of that. Someday that door will shut. Now, someday that door will shut. It could be today, it could be tomorrow when Jesus returns. It could be when you drive home and someone goes through a stop sign that they're not supposed to. It could be when all of a sudden there's a heart issue that you didn't know was there. Just like that, your life comes to a close. But at some point in time, this open door where Jesus says, come on through, come on through, come on through, it will shut. And when it shuts, we're gonna realize in an instant what side of the door we are on. Have we received what only God can offer? Have we walked through the door into his kingdom? Or are we staring in from the outside wishing we would have? He said any point in time, this is the tension of eternity that should drive us as believers to share the word. It's the tension of eternity that for those who are maybe in this room or are listening online that they're thinking, I, I don't know which side of the door I'd end up on. To take that step and take that act of faith and to move through the door and to hold on and cling to Christ's promises. See, a lot of times as, as church people, we understand the tension of eternity, but we also have a lot of excuses. Right? There's people out there, and we know the coworkers and the friends and the family, and they need Jesus. We know they're on the outside looking in, at least might, they might be someday, and we don't want to experience that, right? We don't want them to experience that. But we think, you know what, I, I'm not good enough, I'm not well-spoken enough, I'm not strong enough in my faith, I don't know the Bible well enough, and, and they would never listen to me anyways. And we have all these excuses. And these excuses sound like all the rest of our everyday excuses, right? I don't have money because, I don't have a job because, I don't have a degree because, I don't eat healthy because, I don't work out because, I don't have a good relationship with my kids, my spouse, my parents because... I don't read my Bible because. I don't go to church because. I don't share my faith because. What's amazing about this story and what's so inspirational about this, this church in Philadelphia is that they actually had these excuses. Right? If anyone had an excuse, it was this church 
They had been gutted of all the people who were really talented and well-spoken, right? They had moved on. All the money was gone. All they had was simple obedience to Christ with what God had given them. And what do you say was going to happen with this church? They were going to transform the hearts and lives of people that no one believed would be transformed by simply removing the excuses and doing what God had for them to do. You see, at New Life, we are far, much more blessed than Philadelphia. Right? We have a great town, a great city, a great area. We don't have earthquakes. We don't have any of those excuses. The only excuses that we have are the ones we put in front of ourselves. And it's time we knock those down. It's time we knock those down. Because eternity, well, it's on the line. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.